one's going to end on a double doink. Doink. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know. That idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea and then... Uh, Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know. That idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh the doctor laugh. is now in. Glad to have you with us. A terrible Tuesday it is. You know what that means. We get to vent our frustrations, or my frustrations, and I got plenty of them. Usually do on a Tuesday, right? It's tailor-made. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin Show. Yes, two hours, nonstop sports talk coming your way. Pack show today. All-star, Hall of Fame guest lineup. Got a lot of Hall of Famers coming up this week. Holy moly. We're going to have Bob Arum tomorrow, Teddy Atlas. Today we go to the football, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Dan Fouts, 15 years as a quarterback of the Chargers. Fantastic season uh, over and over for Dan Fouts. And, of course, uh, more than two decades with uh, CBS as an NFL analyst. Love talking to Dan. Good friend. Good friend of the program. So he will join us today. UNLV basketball victorious again last night. 3-0 and oh for the Running Rebels. I like saying that. See, I can I can say Running Rebels right now and feel good about it. I got my UNLV hat on today. Numchuck's got his on. There you go. Rebels 3-0. Kevin Kruger will join us today. So we'll get Kevin's thoughts. Always fun with Kevin. Because what is so cool with Kevin is that, you know, he will tell you what he's nervous about. He'll talk about his own flaws. And he'll talk about the positives and the negatives as, as well. So look forward to talking with Kevin Kruger today as well on the program. And yes, we will go to Tampa Bay. <sighs> Deep sigh. Yes. TJ Reeves will join us. Part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers broadcast crew. How about that, huh? The Buccaneers, two losses in a row. You throw the bye in the middle there. So we'll have some fun with that. And uh, it just makes me feel good, too, because, you know, I went against the Bucks on not only just my bets, but part of his three-dog Thursday where he's requiring me to pick NFL underdogs each and every week for his three-dog Thursday podcast, which, by the way, Numchuck, I don't know if you know. I think you do know. Uh, that's right. yes. I-, I did it again. Pick the winner. And another winner outright with the Washington football team. That's I believe that's now 11 out of 12 that I've hit. That man, his money. That's right. So expect plenty of kudos from TJ Reeves just being able, just thrusting that all over me today. There you go. We like a good thrust, don't we? There you go. All right. So TJ Reeves will join us as well. So we got all of that happening today. So solid guest lineup Dan Fouts, Kevin Kruger, TJ Reeves. And of course, we start with a terrible Tuesday. It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. (laughs) It's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right, raise your hand if you got fooled by the Los Angeles Rams. Sure. Everyone, raise your hand. Don't be shy. Of course, you know, Rams coming off that embarrassing loss the week before, even though it picked the Tennessee Titans the week before. But yeah, we all thought the Rams were going to get well against the 49ers. After all, the Niners coming to the game 3-5 and five, have been pathetic. Jimmy Garoppolo, mostly pathetic. They were terrible the week before on their home field against the Colt McCoy-led Arizona Cardinals. Niners couldn't do anything right. But for some reason... When the Rams come to town or when they go face the Rams in L.A., doesn't matter, the Niners have their number. The Niners have now beaten the Rams five straight games. So, yes, there are a lot of people who thought the do theory. The Rams were 7-2. and two. They're not going to have two clunkers in a row, right? Because, not like you know uh, we, we saw with the Dallas Cowboys where they bounced back. The Buffalo Bills. They uh, bounce back. The Green Bay Packers, 
They bounce back. So you expect a good team like the Rams to bounce back and give it to the 49ers. You figure you have the game circled on your calendar. But what we didn't realize was that the Rams had a bye week coming up. Next week. This week. The Rams were already on their bye. I mean, from the opening possession, they get the kickoff. Second place, Stafford wants to go deep, nonchalant, throw into triple coverage, turns the ball over first two possessions, and this thing was a rout. San Francisco dominated the Rams 31-10 to last night. That's two weeks in a row. The Rams have been terrible. Sean McVay, what do you got to say about this? Everybody had a hand in this tonight, and that's where we got to look at it ourselves, look inwardly first and foremost, and then be able to move forward accordingly because I choose to believe that these last couple weeks are not who we are. Um, I refuse to believe that even though, you know what, uh, you're only as good as your last game. These last two weeks have certainly been humbling. But like I said, you know, we're, we're going to look at ourselves. I think it's good for our guys to be able to take a step back, be able to get away a little bit. I know that uh, you know, there will be some things in the background that uh, – I'm going to make sure that I'm doing uh, to be able to, uh, you know, have some solutions when we come back and attack this thing the right way for these last seven games. Only as good as your last game? Well, if you're only as good as your last game, you know what that means? You stink. You stink right now. The last two games, you stunk. And you got beat down by physical ball clubs. And really, aside from Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans, not really that physical of a ball club. The San Francisco 49ers, are they known for being a physical ball club? Well, they sure showed that last night as they just ran at the Rams over and over and over again. I believe in every possession through the third quarter, the Niners started every drive with a running play. And they just pounded at the Rams over and over again. Two weeks in a row. The Rams have looked horrendous. Last week, Tennessee on their home field, 28-16. They lose in L.A. 26 points scored in the last two games combined the last two weeks. And by the way, Matt Stafford is looking like Detroit Matt Stafford all over again. Two interceptions last night. He had two last week against the Titans. And including there, two pick sixes. One from each week. A quarterback rating last night of 67.4. 71 was his quarterback rating the week before against Tennessee. And it's Matt Stafford being the Lions, Matt Stafford, making horrendous decisions. And I think now we have to just kind of slow our roll a little bit here and say, wait a minute. Is Matt Stafford, is this who he truly is? Because there was... A lot of us, that got fooled about Matt Stafford maybe the first six, seven, eight weeks of the season when everyone was singing his praises. Oh, this guy, look, he just needed weapons around him. He just needed a better offensive line. That's what he needed. He had all kinds of time to throw the football last night. It didn't do him a damn bit of good. And for me, I'm just thinking, this is who Matt Stafford is. This is the guy who continues to make bad decisions doesn't matter. He's wearing a Lions uniform, a Rams uniform, and maybe you know t- uh, teams have, have figured him out now with the Rams. I understand. No Robert Woods. You got Odell Beckham Jr. He played last night very sparingly, but Stafford looked awful, plain and simple, and that's two weeks in a row that he's looked downright terrible. Now, the Rams have a bye week, like I said, coming into this week, right? Next game after this? they got to go to Lambeau Field, take on the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) Does McVay actually think that they are just going to be able to flip a switch here and things are going to get better? Because by that soundbite we just played, that's exactly what it sounds like from him. This defense, you've got guys like Aaron Donald. Where was he? How many times did we call his name last night? Did we hear the announcers call his name? We didn't whatsoever. Uh, Jalen Ramsey? Okay, fine. He wanted to get physical. Did he have any picks? Did he have any, you know, had a couple breakups? That's about it. Where is the rest of this Rams defense that got shredded by the San Francisco 49ers? Kittle got open whenever he wanted. Garoppolo on third down, converted whatever he wanted to do. Debo Samuel, how about him? Phenomenal game for him last night. Wow. Niners got themselves back into this last night, and the Rams laid an egg. It'll be interesting to see where the Rams go from here, and we may have a battle in the NFC West.
All right, speaking of teams that are struggling, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lose to Washington 29-19 on Sunday. Another bad performance from Tom Terrific. He had two interceptions. The second game in a row, he's had two interceptions. Going back before their bye week, their last game against the Saints, two interceptions in that one. All right, two straight losses for the Buccaneers. Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, not really happy facing the media after the game on Sunday. Not a great day of football for us. So it doesn't matter who you play if we, you know, have a bunch of self-inflicted errors too. I mean, we gotta we gotta eliminate those and see, you know, see if we can go out and execute the plays that are there. Energy and passion is very fixable. You know, um, the penalties they got to get corrected sooner or later. I mean, the first play of the game, we're shifting and we jump off sides. I mean. They don't even run a play and we jump off sides. That's just the stupidity uh, has to go away if we're going to go anywhere. Oh, that has nothing to do with ability. It's, it's all about execution and and, uh, and and being a smart football team. We're a very dumb football team. And that's a, that's a reflection of the coaches. Stupidity and dumb from Bruce Arians. The stupidity of the penalties and the lack of execution and then saying that we are a dumb football team right now. You got to love that. That's perfect. Now, we've seen Arians do this before where he's called out Tom Brady. Remember Brady last year when he didn't know it was fourth down? Third, how, how is it? Third, fourth, fifth down? What are we, Colorado? Back in the day, the Mike Pritchard days? Is that what we're doing here? Yeah. And he called him out. They righted the ship. Pun intended there. And then they got things right. There you go. Is this going to happen from here on out? But again, I like it. Here's a veteran coach, a guy that takes no nonsense, and he's calling on his team, saying we're we're a dumb football team and the stupidity that they're playing with right now. Good for Bruce Arians. Do you think anyone in that Tampa Bay locker room is calling out Bruce Arians or feeling like, oh, man, he's trying to divide our locker room. He's calling his players stupid. Do you think that's the case there? No, I think he can push those buttons. And I think he's probably saying the right thing. Too many of the coaches will not do that. They will not challenge their team. They will not call their team out. They will not call themselves out. And that's what Bruce Arian said. Basically, he called himself stupid. Saying, we got to coach better. A lot of stupid decisions being made. We are a dumb football team. And he goes, it starts with the coaches. So, good for him. Hey, we know this. And I talk about it all the time. Repeating. A championship is the toughest thing to do in sports. Toughest thing in sports is to repeat. This team is not winning the Super Bowl. I said it before, told TJ Reeves, I'll tell him again today when he comes on the show. This team is not winning the Super Bowl. It's too hard to do. When you reached the epicenter, the plateau, you're at the the height of the mountain, and you celebrate, you parade, you just have that natural deep breath, take a step back, and you're not nearly as hungry. Now, can you get it back where you make a push and you make a run in the second half of the season? Yes, it's a long season, especially this year. It's 17-week schedule. But your target is on your back from everybody else. You're everybody's top game of the year. You're the Super Bowl defending champions. It is the toughest thing to do, and that's why we see teams in all sports very rarely repeat, especially with all the parity and the way everything is. And a lot of players don't have the drive. And as we know, a lot of players don't come back after they won a Super Bowl or they won an NBA championship or a World Series. They be like, okay, I've done that. Mission accomplished. Let me go get some uh, big money somewhere else. Even though the Patriots had basically everybody coming back, all their key parts coming back, including Tom Brady, this does not look like a Super Bowl team right now. Remember the 17-0 talk? Everyone was talking about, hey, this team's going to be 17-0. We had, even had odds up at the sports book where people actually thought this team would go undefeated. It's insane. It's absurd. This team's lost two in a row. Let's see what they got next week. Monday Night Football against the Giants at home where they should destroy them. So we will see. Tom Brady, parting words, wasn't taking that press conference uh, and some of those questions too keenly. Uh, we started with the ball. They came away with it. So thank you, guys. That's it. He dropped the mic. Said, that's it. Cam Newton is back. Oh, yes. And he's going to let you know that he's back. 
as he got in the game early on in their game this weekend, Cam Newton came on the field uh, against the Arizona Cardinals, made an early appearance, and came in and on the second play ran the ball in for a touchdown. Comes back in in the next series, and then he throws a touchdown pass. Oh, yes, Cam Newton's back, and he'll let you know it. Resign with the Panthers on Thursday. Just three days ago, McCaffrey split out wide to the right. Newton takes the snap, and he is in for a Panthers touchdown. Yeah, he's back. We know you're back already. You don't need to tell us that you're back. We get that. And again, this is who he is. Okay, happy, fine. But if you watch that game like I was, and you saw him get in the end zone on that on that uh, two-yard rushing touchdown, the first thing he did before he went to slap anybody's hands on his, uh, you know, Pat anybody on the back. Get Pat on the back. He wanted to make sure that helmet came off and that he could have his mug all over national television again. And the official promptly threw a yellow hanky and gave him an unsportsmanlike conduct. Did he care? No, he didn't care. Anybody on the sideline care? They didn't care. How about Matt Rule? Did he care? Of course not because he's a young coach. He's going to let Cam run the asylum. This looks good right now for the Panthers. P.J. Walker, your starting quarterback, who I know Matt Rule was kind of happy with because he coached him at Temple. No one else really going to give P.J. Walker a shot, but Matt Rule did. And now, because of the Sam Darnold injury, they said, well, we're going to have to bring Cam back, and he started on the bench. Now Matt Rule's got a decision to make, and he's got to probably go with Cam Newton as his starting quarterback because Cam will be a problem if he's not the starting quarterback. That's exactly why Bill Belichick said, we're waving you. You can't have this guy as a backup. But now he's the Carolina Panthers' problem. He looks nice right now, right? But what's going to happen from weeks to come as Cam Newton will start throwing interceptions, fumbling, and potentially being a problem in this locker room and on the sideline? And you know what that means? you get more of Cam Newton at press conferences. Well, I put it like this. This time last week, I was eating a bowl of cereal. <laughs> like, you feel me? So I told Coach Rula it would never happen again, and it wouldn't. That, that one on me. But yet, I mean, I was eating cereal last week. You know what I mean? So that just puts things into perspective. You know, after going to church, being with my children, and – you know, really not even watching football. It was just about, you know, maximizing the person that I I'm, I need to be. And uh, so for that, it was just all just a rush of emotions. But yet, you know, I know a lot of people in the, in, in the media, you know, the titles of the newspaper, the blogs and things like that, they want to make it about me. It's not about me. And I keep saying it's not about me. This was an impeccable team win. You know, I'm so proud of PJ for him to, you know, look down the barrel on so many different times and, and deliver the ball as well as, you know, everybody pulling together. You know, it was it was exciting for us as a team to, uh, as an offense, to take turns making plays. And then when we didn't, it showed. You know, it was real sloppy football. But, yeah, through it all, man, you know, I ain't got no complaints. He's saying it's not all about you. It is all about you. It's all about him. That's why he had to take the helmet off. That's why he had to say, I'm back. Talking about eating your cereal. More Cam Newton. No, see, the thing is, see, I ain't want to double up. So you ain't see the pregame, Steve. See, this postgame, Steve. You got to catch up to my mustard, you did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Man, we ain't, we ain't there yet. We ain't there yet. Keep in mind, uh, my first day at work was on Thursday. You know, that's a work week. And get to sit down and analyze the situation. See, my dog, he know of me. He don't really know me, know me yet. It's going to take a couple more cigars, a couple more dinners. You know what I'm saying? I paid last night. Next one going to be on him. You feel me? They slid that in. You did. 
That's what, yeah, yeah. Being in the NFL, everything, public knowledge. No, you know, I'm still broke. <laughs> this is what we're going to have to deal with. Cam Newton in the press conferences, in the dress. As long as he's going to show up like George Clinton, Parliament fucking hell again, okay, maybe I can deal with that. But still, the nonsense of Cam Newton will continue. Oh, and guess what? He's back. It's back. <laughs> All right. You know who's not back? The Detroit Lions. Yeah, shout out to my boy C-Win. You didn't lose this week. Brian Feldman, my guys who are diehard Lion fans, the Lions did not lose. Oh, how frustrating is though if you're Dan Campbell. They play the Pittsburgh Steelers to a 16-all tie. 16-all tie. The game goes into overtime. Dan Campbell's frustrated, but more importantly... I don't think many people on this football field knew the rules of professional football. Honestly, I don't. I don't know. Like I say, I don't. I don't. I'm in this twilight zone. I don't know what this is really. We didn't win, but we didn't lose either. And I, all you can ask for is improvement. And we improved. You don't know if to be happy or sad. I mean, really, you're not happy because we could have won it and, and we didn't. But um, it is better than a loss, I guess. You know, it's not. That's not any consolation, but on paper it is. I mean, I'm I'm back there like, yo, how many overtimes can we do? And they're like, three. I heard two, one. Like, we just, we were like, yo, whatever's going on, we about to just put our all into it. I didn't know he could even tie in the NFL. Uh, I was, I was in my mind, I was sitting on the bench ready, saying to myself, I got a, another quarter to go. But um, I guess somebody came to me and said, that's it. And, uh, so I ain't never been, a, I ain't never had to tie in my life before, <clears throat> but first time. Yes, that was uh, Najee Harris of the Steelers. Didn't know. For that, you had a uh, Lions uh, player not actually knowing uh, the rules there, uh, DeAndre Swift. And then you had Jared Goff talking and Dan Campbell talking. But here's the thing. Okay, you played hard. You didn't win. Frustrating. You're a horrible football team. Jared Goff, 114 yards. 114 yards. Another pathetic performance by Jared Goff. But let's talk about not knowing the overtime procedures. How could this happen? I mean, haven't these guys watched the NFL before being in the NFL? Whether it's growing up or how about this? You know in college you're a high-profile player and you don't know the overtime rules? Okay, that's one thing I guess, right? But how about the coaching staff? It's on the coaching staff. You don't coach these guys up and prepare? Oh, uh, by the way, now we go to overtime. Uh, This is how it goes down, you know? Uh, You know, each team is going to get a possession. If we score a touchdown in the first possession, game over, we win. Or we get a safety. Game over, we win. Uh, If we don't score, then uh, next score wins. Whether it's a field goal, safety, any. It's pretty simple. But for these guys, when the clock runs out to zero, they play 10 minutes in the overtime period, and it gets to zero, and you look up there, and the score's still tied. You're thinking, actually, that you're going to go back out there? What is this? Is this Dan Fouts? Is it the Chargers? Is it against the Bengals? The, the double, the triple overtimes? No, that went away decades ago. How can you not know the rules of your own game and believe it or not we see this we see it in basketball we see it in football we see it. it's it's really weird maybe only in, in baseball where they get it but they don't know the rules of the overtime period craziness florida state miami this thing ended wildly where florida state came back got a victory uh here's how it sounded they got to get to work quickly Got a spike and maybe get a play. Oh, wow. He took a long time before yeah, spiking. It took did. three steps on the drop back. Oh, my Lord. Tyler Van Dyke, what are you doing? And Mike Norvell seems to be indicating should be zero time left. He took a three-step drop and spiked it. Yeah. By rule, in order for the quarterback to spike the ball, there has to be three seconds on the clock. There were two. Therefore, the ball game is over. Ending for the Hurricanes. And the Seminoles say, say less. We- so Florida State scores. All right. They get a touchdown. And then Miami's coming back. And they're the 50 yard line, getting positioned for a game winning field goal. 
There uh, is two seconds on the clock. The guy spikes the ball, takes like three three steps back. Actually, actually, there's like I'm sorry, I take that back. There's like six seconds on the clock. Takes three steps back, kind of nonchalantly spikes the ball, and it ends with two. So therefore, uh, the game is over. The game is is simply over because according to the college football rules, there must be three seconds on the clock. Uh, in order to have a successful spike and earn yourself another play. I don't know if that's true. Uh, the coaches didn't know that was true. The announcers definitely know if that was true or not. And that's how that game ends. Again, players, coaches not knowing the rules, or maybe the referees not knowing the rules. Who knows? All right, we leave you with this. TV time. Oh, you know how much I love TV time, right? The absurd as I flip through my channels on the weekend. And what do I see this time? I look at my guide and I see flyball. Flyball. Hmm. So I see that. I say, okay, I'm going to give it a shot, knowing that it's probably going to be a part of Terrible Tuesday. I'm thinking it's some sort of baseball competition. Maybe some crazy catches. Maybe some skill uh, contest. Somebody's blindfolded, catching a, a fly ball off their, off their porker. Who knows what, you know? Right? It's going to be somewhat entertaining. Instead, what do I get as I turn on the television? I see dogs chasing tennis balls. That's what I see. Dogs chasing tennis balls. Need to carry the ball through again. So Looks like fast it. and clean. Very nice run for Furfun in the left lane. So they are in good shape here. One more win will get it done as they will earn the championship in the multi-breed class. Those mistakes, is that just a result of nerves? You know, it, it's hard to say. Uh, maybe trying really hard, maybe the excitement, sometimes the crowd noise. It can really be a number of things that maybe just get a certain dog off. Uh, there's the rerun, really nice turn. Beautiful look at the dog as well, showing that really any breed can excel. Fur fun, all right. Uh, getting a dog off, and then what was the last word about excelling? Well, correlate. Who knows what? I'm watching dogs on TV. I mean, this is something that I see frequently at my neighborhood park. Seeing guys throw tennis balls and have the dog run them down, chase him. Do I need to see a? A, a tennis ball dropped from somewhere and these dogs uh, jumping on crates and going all the... No! It's ridiculous! Why is this on my TV? And here we go again. What? Tetris? Spartan Games? Spike Ball? Uh, half a dozen other nonsense things that we talk about on Terrible Tuesday that I've ripped before and now I've got to talk about... What's this called? Fly Ball? No, come on. Are you kidding me? Uh, the North American Flyball Association. Here is their intro. You can literally feel the anticipation in the air as the dogs line up and wait for a flyball relay race to begin. As soon as the gun fires, each dog dashes over a line of low hurdles to reach a box. Once there, they use their paws to push a spring-loaded pad and release a tennis ball into the air, and they catch and bring back to their handlers. Once back in the starting line, the next dog takes his turn. It's in partnership with the North American Flyball Association. The AKC recognizes four titles. Flyball Dog Champion, Flyball Master, Onyx, whatever the heck that is, and Flyball Grand Champion. There you go. Get this off of my television. Where do they come up with this? Ugh. Terrible Tuesday takes. You got him. Hit me on Twitter at TCMartin21. When we come back, we talk to the Hall of Famer, Dan Fouts, coming up next. I got something for you. Here's the man, the myth. The oracle has spoken. The mouth. You hear me talking? TC Martin. All right, plenty on the table here to talk about in the NFL. Another exciting week. A lot of upsets. Underdogs cashing in again at the books. Nine underdogs out of the 14 games. Nine underdogs come away winning. And uh, when you look at six of the nine winning outright. So 
we'll be uh, diving into that uh, during the course of the week, too, from a uh, point spread uh, perspective like we always do. But right now, let's talk a little NFL football with the Hall of Fame quarterback, the 15-year NFL veteran, and uh, he's enshrined there in Canton, Ohio, and has always done a fantastic job on the broadcast side. Uh, there's decades uh, with uh, CBS as an NFL football analyst. He is Dan Fouts. Dan, thanks for joining us, my friend. How you doing? Well, pretty good. Yeah, it's been a uh, interesting season so far, hasn't it? <laughs> it sure has. And I love you know talking with you and and our other quarterbacks that we can reach out to and just kind of get your take on on what we're seeing, especially at that quarterback position, Dan. And, and I'll start with what we saw last night with the Rams and Matt Stafford. We were singing all the praises about Matt Stafford, you know, coming over from Detroit, and everyone thought, hey, this guy really does have the skill set. He just had a lot of bad years in Detroit because he didn't have the offensive line, didn't have the weapons around him, didn't have the top-notch, you know, wide receivers, even though that's not totally true. But, you know, he started off fantastic, you know, with the Rams, but his last two games and those losses against Tennessee and then again last night against the 49ers – I think there's some people out there questioning, okay, is this the same Matt Stafford that is resurfacing from his days in Detroit? Uh, give me some quick thoughts, Dan, on, on Matt Stafford the last couple of weeks. Well, I think that um, teams know how to play the Rams. Uh, at least they did when uh, Goff was there and, and McVay was, you know, that type of offense that they were running. And, uh, you know, they, things changed quite a bit when Stafford got there, but I don't think you can underestimate or devalue the loss of Robert Woods, um, number one. And then you bring in a, a controversial guy in Odell Beckham Jr. So there's some adjustments that have to be made there. Uh, you know, they they brought in Vaughn Miller. So they're, they're thinking that they get, need to shore up there. But, uh, you know, getting back to Stafford, I wouldn't uh, worry about him. Uh, this is the best team he's been on uh, on both sides of the ball, probably in his career. So I, I think that, you know, teams are starting to figure him out a little bit. Uh, now it's time midseason where you readjust your offense. You, you see what uh, teams have done. You do some self-scouting. Uh, you figure things out, and then you go forward. But uh, the interesting thing is how will they incorporate uh, Odell Beckham, Jr.? When you look at this, this Rams team, um, Dan, it really looks like that they have not played physical football the last couple of weeks, especially last night. I mean, San Francisco just took it to them. And, you know, when you think of Sean McVay's teams, a lot of people think about, you know, there's bells and whistles and there's all this, you know, uh, innovative stuff offensively. But, you know, with his background, and you probably know this better than anybody, I mean, there's a physicality to the way that he's always coached and, and, and taught. And we didn't see that at all last night. Is this a Rams team that can be viewed maybe a little bit soft? Well, I'd like to rather focus on the two teams that they lost to. I mean, Tennessee right now is as hot as anybody and a big physical yep. team, even without Derek, without Henry, okay? So then San Francisco is desperate, okay? They've had a very disappointing season. So they're going to give the Rams their natural rival for many, many years their best shot playing at home. They hadn't won at home forever, it seemed like. So just the cards were, you know, all the stars were all lining up there for uh, the Rams to have a tough time in both those games. And if you're not as physical, if you don't match that physicality of the Titans or of the 49ers or the emotional side of it, then you're going to get a stinker like last night. Yeah. Do you think it's uh, it's panic time in L.A. after these two losses, especially the one last night? Or is this just a, a matchup thing where San Francisco now has won five in a row against the Rams over the last two seasons? Yeah, that's that's shocking. Uh, five in a row uh, over you know a team that you have to play twice a year. Uh, very difficult to sweep a team during the regular season, but to do it, as the uh, 49ers have done now, as you said, five times in a row. As far as the panic time, no, there's a lot of football left. Uh, very competitive division. We've seen Arizona stumble a little bit. Uh, Seattle may be getting healthy now that Wilson's coming back. So uh, it's a long way to go in a very tough division. All right, we're talking to the Hall of Famer, Dan Fouts. Dan, let's talk a little. You mentioned uh, Odell Beckham Jr., and we see him you know, coming in here. The Raiders just got uh, Deshaun Jackson. He comes in. 
Talk a little bit about the chemistry, especially when you're bringing somebody in. I'm sure that you had to go through this during the course of your career. If you bring in, say, maybe a high-profile guy, maybe a guy that maybe has a little bit of a, a questionable pass, you know, didn't end well with his previous team, and you're bringing a guy in, especially midseason, to get caught up, uh, learn the system, and then knowing that, okay, maybe if I don't give this guy enough targets that – you know, we could have some problems here in the locker room on the sideline. Uh, give me some thoughts about about you know today's receiver and is and did you have any of those type of issues when uh, you know receivers were coming in to play for you with the Chargers? Well, you know, chemistry is huge, and, and I doubt that uh, you know Odell Beckham Jr. or or uh, Jackson have had much success uh, in that classroom. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, because they have moved around. They have been, as you said, controversial, but, uh, when, when I did play, we did bring in a high profile receiver to replace a high profile receiver. When we lost John Jefferson to the green Bay Packers, we brought in West Chandler and West Chandler was a fantastic receiver, uh, that was playing in new Orleans with Archie, uh, Archie Manning. So, the big thing that uh, with Wes is that he recognized what we had going. A very intelligent player to go along with his, his physical attributes, but he knew he needed to fit in. And just to give you an example, uh, there were some routes early in practice with Wes where our timing was off. And I realized that he was too fast. I had to slow him down on some of his routes, uh, so it would time out better because a lot of our things that we did throw in the ball was based on timing to Charlie Joyner, to Kellen Winslow, to John Jefferson. And now we've got this burner who can just fly, and the ball is behind him every time. And I said, Wes, just take it easy. I'll get you the ball, but don't run so fast. And he, he did, and uh, we uh, – we enjoyed a lot of success. There it is. Part of the Air Coriel days with Dan Fouts and those Chargers. Speaking of the Chargers, Dan, what are your thoughts now? We've we've seen basically two seasons of Justin Herbert. Um, what's your analysis of him so far? Because last year, really strong. This year, he's been struggling. Yeah, there's no question, uh, especially uh, last couple of weeks. Um, you know, last year, he was in a different offense, and, and – uh, uh, it was, uh, I'm not going to say it was more friendly for him, but obviously the results, uh, were a lot better than they are now. So he's still adjusting to the, uh, New Orleans Saints slash Drew Brees pass offense. And, uh, nobody did it as well as Drew Brees, but it is an adjustment. And remember, this is a year and a half in the NFL for Herbert. He surprised a lot of people last year. There's no question. But one thing the NFL does, and these coaches that are so great at making changes and adjustments throughout the season and in the off season, uh, they can they can uh, nitpick pretty good, and they can find out what bothers you, uh, and uh, they're going to hammer that away until you fix it yourself. So these are growing pains, if you will. I know that's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. Uh, and Herbert's going to have to battle through it. The coaching staff is going to have to figure it out. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of confidence in Herbert because I think he's a, a budding superstar in this league. He is. All right, Dan, let's talk a little bit about the Chargers. I remember I talked to you, you know, when they were playing in, in Carson, and it was definitely not home field advantage. Now they moved into their shiny new home there, SoFi Stadium, that they share along with the Rams here. And I'm curious about your thoughts here. I mean, how – what is the percentage of people or maybe the number of people actually that make that trip from San Diego to LA that still have this love for the chargers? Cause as we know, the chargers always had the, the passionate fan base there. I mean, they would fill the place there, you know, in, in San Diego, they just couldn't, you know, work out the stadium deal, but you know, it's not a, a, a long haul from San Diego to LA, but we hear this all the time that, well, the Rams are going to have their fan base. And when the chargers play those home games, it, it's, it's never going to be like it was in San Diego. Give me some thoughts on that. Well, you're probably right that it's never going to be like San Diego because uh, the Chargers really made San Diego a major league city uh, when they moved to uh, San Diego back in the early 60s. So 
uh, and the fans and the people of San Diego embraced them uh, through the good years and the lean years. Uh, and it hurt a lot of San Diego Charger fans uh, when they moved, obviously. And uh, you say it's not that long of a drive, but uh, when you live in San Diego and you think about driving through Orange County and then through downtown L.A., uh, you ask yourself, what time's the game on TV? Right. And I think, <laughs> I, I think, I think that's what's happened. The other thing is that uh, visiting team fans love to come west, especially uh, as the season and the uh, the fall turns into winter back east. It's always summer and seventy in L.A. So uh, that's another uh, battle that the Chargers and frankly the Rams have to uh, uh, take into account as well. It's a tremendous stadium, uh, just one of the best, and you know the one in Vegas is absolutely fantastic as well. But there are going to be a lot of uh, visiting fans in Vegas as well as in Los Angeles, just because both those are great destinations to go to in the fall and, and winter. Now we've seen that firsthand here, and then you go back to Sunday night where there was so much, you know, red and white in that building. And then you know, being in the stadium, you just, uh, you know, it, say if you've got your head down, uh, you have no idea if the Raiders made a great play or the Chiefs made a great play because I mean, it was almost like you know, fifty-fifty. And I know that you know, Charger games have have been that way like we said in, in the past and you bring up also a great point about you know going to LA but to come to that stadium so if you're a visiting fan I mean people want to come to Vegas and they want to you know see Vegas and you know maybe LA when you're playing back at the Coliseum fans really don't feel that way but now you got this shiny new toy these you know, this billion dollar stadium I think fans really want to go experience that stadium more so than just the sunny weather in in Los Angeles uh, there's, there's no question and when you you get to the stadium and you're sitting in your seat and you look up at the scoreboard, that unbelievable replay board. You go, this it's unbelievable uh, to think that uh, you've got a good seat wherever you are. A lot of the people way up high, you know, they're basically watching the game on television because that screen's on all the time. All right. Have you been uh, to Legion Stadium here yet for a game yet, Dan? No, I'm looking forward to going to the uh, Pac-12 championship game. There you go. Okay, we'll yeah. we'll, def- we'll definitely uh, uh, see you there. We'll, we'll try to have you on uh, before that because, uh, of course, we cover that too, here as well, too. He is the legend. He is the 15-year NFL veteran, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, uh, Dan Fouts. Dan, let's talk a little bit about the Raiders and talk about Derek Carr. Uh, you know, obviously, this is a guy who's come, come under a lot of scrutiny uh, from Raider fans, especially after the performance against the Chiefs. You know, Derek is a guy that you know people love. He's 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 great to cover. You know, here in the media, but you know, there are some fans that are saying, you know, we're paying this guy a lot of money. He hasn't delivered at any point in his career. When you see Derek Carr, tell me the quarterback that you see. Uh, I guess. You know, some, it, it's been an in, inconsistent career, I believe, uh, for Derek. Uh, you know, some unbelievably great games, and then some other games where you shake your head. So, uh, you know, and having the situation with Gruden and everything, and that that really, I'm sure, messed uh, with with Derek's head a little bit. Obviously, uh, uh, Gruden is a big supporter, and you know, to have to go through and answer questions and and have to react to all that's going on. Um, you know, you only have so many hours in the day to concentrate on, on your job, which is, uh, during the week preparing for your opponent. And then obviously, uh, you know, not leaving any stone unturned throughout the week. And, but if you're uh, having, you know, other things, uh, that are quote unquote distractions, and then you get, uh, you know, kind of a up and down type of game. Mm-hmm. You know, you played in the AFC West for the Chargers and had those battles against the Raiders and the Chiefs. And again, like we said, you know, we saw the game here Sunday night, and that's a big rivalry with the Chiefs uh, and the Raiders. But it's with all three of these teams and throwing the Broncos as well, too. I mean, you've got some longevity there, uh, not only as a player, Dan, but then broadcasting so many of these games as well, too. How real is that, you know, from a player's perspective, even coach's perspective, of these rivalries in this division? Well, you know, if you look back at all four of those teams, they're all original AFL teams. Right. The Chiefs were the Dallas Texans before they moved to Kansas City. So uh, you're talking 1960 uh, when the AFL started. Uh, And so, you know, 
it is with each team because you're playing them twice. Uh, you're always going to Denver. You're always going to Kansas City. You're always going to Oakland or Los Angeles, uh, and they're coming to your place too. So, uh, and as I said earlier, it's tough to win uh, twice against your rivals like that uh, because of adjustments and and uh, the uh, all the other variables involved. When do you play in the season? Is it late back in Kansas City? Is it early in Denver? Is it uh, it doesn't really matter what it is in San Diego. So uh, it, a lot of things go into it. But uh, I enjoyed, um, you know, obviously playing in the AFC West, uh, and I enjoyed getting to uh, know my rivals because uh, there was no way to avoid them sometimes. Do you think the players get a sense of that, though, especially today's players where – I mean, they just, and we just talked about where the game went overtime with Pittsburgh and Detroit, and players didn't even know what the overtime rules were. And you see a lot of players are just kind of disconnected, especially if you're maybe a first, second, or third year player. Do you think that today's player really gets the sense of these rivalries? No, I don't. I don't think they get a sense of the history of the game right, either. Right. Uh, and that's a shame because uh, it's at your fingertips or it's on your phone. Uh, if you want to learn about uh, what it was like for Daryl LaMonica uh, to throw bombs to uh, Cliff Branch and Warren Wells, or if you want to know about Lenny Dawson, or you want to learn about uh, John Elway or, or all these great players, uh, it's right there. But it appears that uh, in, in talking to players, uh, interviewing players before I did broadcast, uh, it surprised me of how little knowledge they had of the history of the game uh, and the fact that uh, it's just not important to them. Yeah, and the only guy that you uh, failed to mention in that AFC West was uh, Dan Fouts thrown to John Jefferson or you know people like that as well, too. So there you go. Got through yourself in there, right? Well, you know, that goes without saying. I mean, you're talking to me, right? There you go. <laughs> we are. Hey, Dan, how much longer could you have played if you had today's rules, the way we see protecting the quarterback? I mean, we hear defensive linemen, we hear defensive players, you know, yell uh, and scream about these about these rules today. Uh, give me your thoughts about this. And, and guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, I mean, they may play uh, to their late 40s. Well, you know, they take good care of themselves in the off offseason. Uh, they've got trainers and dietitians and all this stuff. Um, basically, we had bartenders, and uh, that, that worked pretty good for a while. But, uh, you know, the rules, uh, you know, you, as an old guy that played a long time ago, it just sounds like sour grapes. So right. I, I don't like to go there. I, I do like to watch the best quarterbacks play every Sunday. And that's why the rules are the way they are. Uh, but it is different. Uh, I enjoyed my time in the league. And, uh, you know, um, that's about all I can say about it without having to sound like an old cranky guy. Right, right. All right, so we're going to put the, uh, you know, the analyst uh, hat back on for you here. And when you look at the quarterbacks here today, what, what is the bi- biggest difference uh, in maybe their approach their decision making, um, you know, the preparation as, as as they get ready for for the games, uh, is it, it? Do you think it is is detailed as some of the greats in the past? Oh, I'm sure it is. You know, because it's it's a very difficult position to play, and uh, so many of these quarterbacks that are coming out today have um, so much ability. Uh, not only strong arms, but their legs and the way they can run and move and. And, and make off-platform uh, type of throws. So uh, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but as far as the traditional quarterback standing in the pocket, uh, if you look back at our Super Bowl winners, uh, most of the time those quarterbacks that are winning Super Bowl games are pocket quarterbacks. So that's the way the passing game is designed, basically, is to protect the quarterback in the pocket. And now you have rules that protect them even more. Uh, so there is there is something to be said for guys that, um, you know, are throwing it from the pocket. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're just past the midway point of this season, Dan. Let Give me some, some thoughts here on who do you think uh, are – 
is the real contender for Super Bowl. Let's start with the AFC. Uh, is it Buffalo? Is it that Tennessee team? And then I want you to give me a quick thought too. Uh, you know, Raider fans would love to hear you. You know, you know, break down this team as well too. Where we sit right now, who is the Super Bowl contenders? Well, you've mentioned two of them in the AFC. Obviously, uh, uh, Tennessee has opened up a lot of people's eyes, and and of course, uh, Buffalo is is much improved too. Uh, don't go to sleep, though, on Kansas City. Uh, last time I looked, they are in first place in the AFC West. So, uh, And, you know, if you look at uh, the, uh, you know, Cincinnati and Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Baltimore, you know, throw a blanket over those four. They're all awesome, and they could all get hot at the end of the year and, and be in the mix uh, uh, come late December. Um, now, as far as me breaking down the Raiders, I think Howie Long is great. You know, Villapiano <laughs> on the, and then there's Lester Hayes and Mike Haynes. You know, I mean, I, where, how am I going to complete a pass against these guys? It's impossible. Matt Millen in the middle. Come on. See, the old guy came back out again. There it is. There ain't nothing wrong with that. We appreciate that history. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I played against Stabler, and then I played against Plunkett. Uh, throw in Dan Pastorini there for a short time. Uh, you know, Marcus Allen, uh, Bo Jackson. I mean, that's what the rivalry was all about personalities and great players you got it there it is all right uh, a quick take on the nfc is is it the packers um you know super bowl birth to lose well you know it depends on aaron Rodgers, doesn't it yeah uh i mean if he's hot and he's healthy and he's ready to go and his mind is right uh the packers are you know one of the surprise teams to me uh, because they're playing so well defensively. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Rodgers, uh, you know, get straight and, uh, you know, get going there and figure things out because I think he's a tremendous talent. Yeah. He is Dan but, Fouts. Uh, again, again, don't fall asleep now on that old guy in Tampa. I know, right? Uh, yeah, they struggled a little know, bit last couple of weeks, but you're right. You, you never say never, right? Well, Bruce Arians has a way of uh, – Pushing the right buttons, I think, and and I think they'll get things turned around here soon. All right, he's down Fouts, the 15-year veteran, the quarterback, the Pro Football Hall of Famer. Real quick, Dan, what are you doing with yourself these days? Play a lot of golf or what? Well, I, I play as much as I can. I'm not getting any better, but I still enjoy it. <laughs> there you go. All right, my friend, we look forward to seeing you when you come here to Vegas. We'll talk some college football. We'll talk some more NFL. How's that? Thanks for having me on, bud. Take care. There he is, Dan Fouts. Love having him on. Great guy. Uh, great friend of the program and uh, did a fantastic job all of you know, the past you know, 20 years uh, with CBS, uh, even ABC back in the day as well, too, from the college football side and the NFL. When we come back, we go to Tampa. Talk to our friend T.J. Reeves, and then we go to the hardwood. Kevin Kruger's UNLV Runner Rebels, they are 3-0. They are undefeated. Huge couple games coming up this week. They move over to T-Mobile Arena, and Big Blue's coming to town. The fourth-ranked Michigan Wolverines. We'll uh, preview that with Kevin Kruger next hour. Don't you dare go anywhere. T.C. Martin on a terrible Tuesday. Wow.